Yeah. Hey everybody. This is John and I'm here with AJ. What's up everyone? And this is the High Jiu-Jitsu Podcast. I'm not sure what episode it's going to be. I think it might be episode four or five because they did a few with Brad. Shout but, out, Brad. Shout out to Brad. But now we're here with AJ. And AJ, High Jiu-Jitsu is here to help everyday people build quality of life. And that's our, that's our mission, okay? That's our purpose. It's what we're here to do. And as part of helping everyday people build quality of life, there are so many different avenues and questions and aspects of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, of being an everyday person, of quality of life. Mm-hmm. And what this podcast is for is for us to delve into different aspects of this journey, of this beautiful journey of doing Jiu-Jitsu. And if we do delve, you know, hopefully we can help some people, some people who are on the path themselves, some everyday people. Having doubts. Yeah, doubts are part of it. You know, doubts are um, a normal part of the process. And value, that's what I'd love to add to to people's Jiu-Jitsu journeys. So hopefully we can do that together. Add some value to people's uh, training. So happy to be here. Me too. So everybody, uh, there's also, we're next to St. Mary's. We have a new podcasting location, so we're up top of next to the gym in the PCYC. Uh, and St. Mary's is just down the road, and there are lot, their bells have been ringing all morning. So if you can hear that, apologies. And it's also raining really loud. Yeah, so you might hear some background noise. Uh-huh, so the rain was a little bit bad beforehand, but we're running with it because, AJ, nothing's perfect, my man. Nothing so, is perfect. You know, if we chase perfectionism, if we want everything to be perfect, chances are I'm not going to do anything. And that's, to be honest, it's kind that's of what... jujitsu, isn't it? I guess so. <laughs> and that's what held us back. That's what held, that's what's hold, held this podcast back a little bit because we're waiting for the right time for everything. And so I'm like, now, let's do it. Let's do it. So we've come together today. The topic for today, what we're talking about, is the strategy of survival. Now, this, this topic comes from a blog post that I put up on our the high jiu-jitsu blog so hijitsu.com.au forward slash blog back when barack came right yeah well barack was here and it was a very interesting story mm-hmm. uh that that blog post came from a a really fascinating situation and uh a moment that taught me so much about jiu-jitsu but stemmed through multiple things like you met barack you initially trained with him and then it developed and I think when I read the story it's sort of been going on for a while like I, there was a lot of depth in that story it went for a while yeah and I, I, it kind of came to a head yeah. um, when Barack well you know when he was in Sydney because well short let's go back from the beginning then and back in the day back in the day when we first started when I first started jiu-jitsu I was training at a different school um, you know, um, Machado School, SPMA, and my intention for jiu-jitsu initially, I wanted to be an MMA fighter. That, that was my goal. So I walked into this gym saying, oh, I want to fight in the UFC because I just spent too much time watching The Ultimate Fighter. I was watching it again mm-hmm. and again and again. Um, and so I walked into the gym and... <clears throat> I wanted uh, to do MMA and they said, look, you have to do jiu-jitsu first for the first three months. So I was like, okay. So I started jiu-jitsu first um, and just absolutely fell in love with it. Within three months, I was in a competition because at our school, everyone, like you were encouraged to compete because they wanted a big team to compete and it's, you know, it was fun. And And you were an athletic guy. So they're like, yep, you should do a competition. For sure. And, you know, um, being, what was I, 19 at the time? Um, I was more than happy to to get down and dirty and um, train really hard and mm. I was a white belt and I jumped into my first comp and I won the first match almost got my arm broken but I just couldn't feel a thing so I was like just kept going uh, how did you almost get your arm broken uh, some, it was arm barring me I just but I didn't know what an arm bar was at the time so I didn't know that I was even in danger because so it was three a white months belt into your competition. Three months into your training, you didn't know what an armbar was. Look, I knew what an, I kind of knew what it was. I just didn't know it was happening to me, happening to me at the right at that time. Right. I didn't have any of any understanding of the you know the technical aspects of the armbar, and I just thought I could just get my arm out. So 
Yeah. Anyways, you know, I had fun with that. I won my first match, lost my second, and that just lit a fire in my butt, and I just really wanted to keep training. And I wanted to keep training because I wanted to get better at competition. Suddenly I had almost like a different objective, mm. you know, and at that time, to be honest, like I kind of forgot about being a UFC fighter. And at least I saw the MMA class that was happening and that was Anthony Parosh, UFC fighter, Elvis Sinizik was training and um, all of these monsters. And it looked scary, it looked very, very scary. And Jiu Jitsu seemed like the much um, I wouldn't say easier, but it was much more um, gentler, more gentle, yeah. Um, and it was seemed like the right path to go through first. Right. So my goal was, you know, learn jujitsu, get really good at jujitsu first, and then transition into MMA. And so, uh, I guess I wasn't very informed and I wasn't well educated about it. So I fell into that, like a bit of a um, got a bit of tunnel vision, and so I started wanting to compete and getting better at competition because you know if you're jumping into a competition then you want to win and i wanted to win we're all like i was competitive there's nothing wrong with that by the way not one not one bit yeah. and you know as a white belt blue belt purple belt competing um there's a certain amount of time for the comp so you've got five minutes and the goal is in the five minutes to you know dominate whether it's with points or you know get a submission um so that you can win and that's perhaps that's a reason why when I first started, uh, my I was introduced to jujitsu with this like almost like an attacking mindset. You know, you train in order to submit the person. That was what you did with jujitsu. Like you, you go in, you fight, you try to get your submission. You pull off your moves. You see what works, what doesn't work. But your the always first and that's what we were told you know when you go into comp- comp- competition you're first be first be first and what that meant was the first few competitions that I went into I wasn't I felt like I wasn't aggressive enough maybe now looking back I probably didn't have enough technique either but in my mind and what I was told at the time was like no be more aggressive you know and be f- um, uh, be first dominate you know don't let the person play their game play your game and um, it was almost like that you want to be the hammer um, in, in the comp which is fair enough because you want to win it and so you know I did jiu-jitsu for about six seven years with that with that mentality like my my moves versus yours who's gonna dominate who's gonna do what to who and so I guess um habits die hard you know and um, that's just the mentality and that was that's the ethos and that was the ethos of my jiu-jitsu at the time and then well I'd say about seven years after about seven years into it um, started up the commune a couple of years after that the old high jiu-jitsu by the way the old high jiu-jitsu yeah who, uh, who have uh, joined us recently yeah commune was the old high jiu-jitsu thanks for um, clarifying that um, so then we sign up with Professor Pedro Sauer and this Pedro Sauer Association and Big Phil would come in and he'd talk to us and Phil shared something that was completely foreign to me and what is that? Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is self-defense and to be honest that was Steve Maxwell who came in first and started saying no Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is self-defense and I had no understanding like I just I hadn't ever heard of that before. And and then, you know, I was talking with some old friends at the time. They're like, yeah, man, I'd love to learn the self-defense as well. You know, I don't know any of the self-defense. And in my mind, that was such a foreign part of what we were doing. It was mm. extremely foreign to think about doing self-defense. Because again, for me, it was all about, you know, the chokes and the arm bars that will get you to win, win a match. And Understanding jiu-jitsu versus, uh, as a means of self-defense brought into light jiu-jitsu ver- uh, against somebody that doesn't do jiu-jitsu. Jiu-jitsu against the layman. And the layman, he's going to spit, he's going to punch, he's going to kick, he's going to headbutt, he's going to bite. He's going to do all these things. He's going to poke eyeballs out. Um, he's going to punch you in the, in the nuts. Like, just whatever. And that's not what 
jiu-jitsu versus jiu-jitsu is all about. You were telling me that you can't barambola someone who's about to punch in the nuts. <laughs> I wonder how that will go. If someone's able to like um, punch you in the face or do something like that or drop a knee where it really, really hurts. Uh, so Steve Maxwell came in, was sharing. His, he was like completely adamant jiu-jitsu is all self-defense. And then Phil came in and Phil was saying, of course, jiu-jitsu is self-defense. And now I thought initially that jiu-jitsu was the, there was a dichotomy, as in like a separation of jiu-jitsu. Two separation, two things. Basically. Two things. I thought it was two separate things, you know. And they didn't have any meeting in between. No. Yeah. Because as Steve Maxwell would talk to me and say jiu-jitsu is self-defense and competition is a little bit like... Um, unnecessary or it's not good and you know fair enough like he said that leads you down bad pathways and fair enough you know um, and then back SPMA days for me was jiu-jitsu versus jiu-jitsu and that's all it was and if you wanted to do self-defense to defend yourself against punches you go learn Muay Thai or you go learn MMA so when Phil and when we signed up with Pedro Sau Association and especially when I came to Professor's first seminar he um, he um portrayed jiu-jitsu as one and the same thing like those different parts were one and the same thing the jiu-jitsu that we play with is always self-defense no matter what even if you're in a competition you're still thinking about defense it's all defense and that was extremely foreign to me and it was foreign because you know as I said you know like you're not defending if you're defending in a competition then you'd be losing, you know? Um, and if you're defending yourself out in the street, then that's like something different as well. Uh, so when Professor came in and said, jiu-jitsu is all self-defense, that kind of rocked the foundations of my jiu-jitsu understanding. Um, and that's why I've had to, in the past three, four years, almost um, restart, rebuild. rebuild. rebuild I had to throw up. it all yeah. out and then start again because the ethos of my previous jiu-jitsu of everything that I used to do was all with an attacking mindset. And that attacking mindset um, is good in some parts, but as we've come to see, and as we're gonna talk about in this show, uh, it can lead you down a, a rough area. A very limited area. Yes, that, that's yes. Yeah. Yeah, it's so interesting that you spoke about this because, um, like, one of the questions I would ask you is that looking back, did you feel that, like, now hindsight, you know, it's it obviously is limited because we can't obviously portray the past as best as we can. But do you think that now, looking back, did you limit the possibilities that you could have had just because you? was so ingrained in that single-sided mindset of this is the only way of jiu-jitsu. Yeah, but I just had no understanding. I didn't, I didn't know any other way, mm-hmm. you know? And um, you don't know what you don't know, really. And, like, I had... I just didn't... I had no idea of... I didn't know Gracie jiu-jitsu. I, saw, I knew Gracie Sydney, and I knew some Gracie schools. And I just thought they were our competition in, like... In, they were another team that were going up against and I competed against some Gracie Sydney boys and um, I heard a little uh, of course I knew the Gracies but I didn't understand the difference between Gracie Jiu Jitsu and conventional BJJ that was very very different Um, and so the professor comes in and he starts talking about the idea of a counter attack not attack but counter attack and one way that Professor puts it up is, he talks about it like this. When you're doing jiu-jitsu, uh, it's almost like when you're in Vegas, okay? Playing poker. Playing poker in Vegas. You're on a poker table, okay? Let's say you're playing Texas Hold'em. For those that don't know what Texas Hold'em is, it's like you've got two cards in your hand. Everyone's got two cards. All the players have two cards. And then three cards come down and you bet on that. The rivers and the runs. And, and then the turn comes, yeah. which is the fourth card. And then the river comes. Yeah. And you bet on each card. On the first three. For all the James Bond lovers. Before the there. three. Before the first three come down, before the flop. 
you know, and then after the three, and then the fourth, and then the fifth. Yeah. Now, what Professor says is that if you attack first, if you're on the offensive, it's almost like if I'm rolling with you in close guard and I go for an armbar, I will do an armbar on you. Then it's almost like I'm opening my cards and I'm showing you my hand. I'm saying, AJ, I'm going for an armbar right now. And so that the ball is then in your court because it's now on you to see the armbar coming and, and to do whatever counter you like it to, on yeah. my armbar. Yeah, that's fair. You know, and then it's going to be your move after that. Mm-hmm. So if you want to counter, if you want to um, not get caught in the armbar, you'll defend it, and maybe that armbar will lead to your pass, where you pass the guard, for example. Mm-hmm. Now, if, however, the difference between that's an attack, you know, um, I see your neck, and I go to choke you, for example, and you see that, and you um, defend. You know, and so it's like almost like we're playing tennis. So the one ball's in my court, and then I shoot it to you, and then you shoot it back to me. Now, when it comes to the counterattack, the difference is that I let you attack first, but I don't let you finish the attack. Because if you finish the armbar, then I have to tap because you're going to break my arm. But I see your attack coming. And I can see everything you're doing and I'm connecting to you so I can feel what you're trying to do. But I still let you go for the armbar. Because in going for the armbar, you open up yourself for another possibility. So when you go for the armbar, that's my time to start passing. You know, that's my time to move and that's my time to set up my next move. So if you go back to the poker game, then suddenly I'm not showing you my cards. I want you to play first so that I can look down and I can say, hey, what's my hand like versus what your, what your hand is like? You open up your cards to me and you've got pocket aces and I've got a lowly um, two Very pair, king, you know, yeah. pair, <laughs> whatever. And so if you've got a much better hand, I'm going to say, hey, I'm folding. I don't want to play that hand, you know. But if I go through this and I willing and I blindly play only on what I have, then I'm opened up to anything that you will have as well. As in, I'm not protecting myself from what you're doing. I'm going through things and I'm, I'm vulnerable to what you're going to come back onto me with. Yeah, let's, let's dial, this is like a really important conversation and I want to dial down how this would relate like technically on the mats. Like one of the best um, analogies or like the best times I remember that this uh, would relate to was when Phil came up and um, we were doing some uh, technical movements uh, I think on a Saturday and we were looking at perhaps you know you're out in the club and you're doing your Saturday boogie (laughs) and someone comes behind you and um, pulls your neck down and um, one of the brilliant back pulls your neck down like from around your back like, oh, right, you know, right, comes right, right. behind you. Yeah, like a headlock. Like a headlock. Yeah. And um, one of the things that he talks about is that rather than immediately becoming aggressive, immediately looking for that T-position, hip throw, you know, combo, whatever, we're sort of perhaps ingrained into looking. Let's just take a step back. Allow the movement to let yourself land in a proper structure of safety comes first. But there's no aggression from your end, and what that me, what I'm trying to say with that, in uh, if I'm if I'm remembering correctly, technically when he was there, when someone pulled Phil down from his head, Phil turned and immediately landed in the T position. His hips were square, his hips were forward. His head was back. He was tall. He couldn't be pulled down. So what does that mean? In a few words, safe, secure, structure is strong. But he wasn't squeezing the opponent. Mm-hmm. He wasn't acting. What, what does that mean? And a lot of times you were referring to the exact same thing. And it's, it's this thing that I always find, you know, the, 
That's okay. There's the there's there a bit might of rain be a happening. Bit of rain, so you might be hearing that, but and we'll we do our best. apologize, but there's nothing we can do. So keep yeah. going. <laughs> but there's this weird thing that you've just been talking about that I just find super cool, which is like this art of doing versus non-doing. Mm-hmm. And if you look at possibilities, which you spoke about earlier, like how you know when you just are in a completely attack mindset. You're limiting your possibilities. Like you're 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 looking sort of like in a, with blinders on and having just this, and there's all these other things that mm-hmm. perhaps you're out of. As soon as you act, the action is the only possibility. Whatever you act towards, as soon as you attack, the attack is the only possibility. If you're safe, so this is what I remember so well, is that when Phil was there, he was strong, he was holding the person, he wasn't aggressive. He was just there in a T position, he was strong, stable, there. There are endless possibilities, but he's ready. Mm -hmm. And that I find is, in my opinion, the the best art of non-doing. He's not violent, he's not aggressive. Mm -hmm. He's just waiting for whatever happens the other person as you say acts so does and Mm -hmm. then the possibility limits so automatically now there's only one thing that can happen and now he responds Mm -hmm. but he i felt that he was so clear in the fact that he allows i'm going to be safe which is so important for the average person you know like the I'm safe, I'm structurally song, strong, mm-hmm. I'm secure, and I'm ready for whatever comes towards me. I'm not aggressive, I'm not violent, and then whatever happens from here, I will respond or counterattack, as you were saying, accordingly from that. Mm-hmm. It's, it's, yes, so you cannot control what the other person is doing, the only thing you can do, and I guess it's what Phil was doing, was controlling his frame. His, he was putting himself in a safe position, and again, he was putting the ball back in their court. So if that person went to punch him in the head, then he would start countering that punch. And then mm. from that punch, the person would probably, his, his, let's say the guy's holding onto his head with two hands, he opens up his hands to punch. Okay, that's Phil's next move. So that, uh, that person, showed Phil where Phil ought to go. Because Phil was sensitive and Phil uh, responded to what the person did as opposed to what Phil wanted to do in that situation. Mm -hmm. And that is different. That is understanding of self-defense versus going out in all-out gung-ho attack. And in this point, it's actually like, you know, we are, we are talking about um, uh, skills of survival, but it's often quite like when you see people like the professor, um, uh, Sauer or Phil, it seems that the way they attack or the way they uh, move seems magical because there's so many steps ahead. Mm-hmm. But I always wonder, are they actually a few steps ahead or because they're just so open-minded to what may occur? Like, yes, they, um, what they see, the possibilities or the information they're picking up from the opponent is perhaps so much bigger than the um, information I'm picking up mm-hmm. just because they proprioceptively know so much more. They have more possibilities. Yes. They've seen but, more previously. Yeah. And um, they know so many things or holes. But I also believe, like, from the little experience I have, is that the more open I am allowing things to be, the more holes will present themselves. Yes, and that's exactly what we're talking about. Because... um, you know, that, that's been the, a complete different philosophy that I've had to, well, that I initially had to, but now that I'm so happy <laughs> to, to, to find to, it, to catch, you know, yeah. and, to, and to build on. Um, so we're in 2018, last year, we're at. So coming back to the story. Coming back <laughs> to the story, because it all relates and it's all beautiful. 
um, we were on Professor Sauer's tour, and so he was in Sydney, and then they, then he went to Melbourne, and I went and followed. We were in Melbourne, and I tell you what, before that, I trained with Barack like the year before, probably like 2017 when Barack came to high jiu-jitsu. Um, I trained with him a little bit, and that was just another world. Like I felt, wow, like it was, um, he felt just amazing. He was just well, floating all over me. He is yeah. a monster. He was yeah. floating, he was doing whatever he liked. Young, youngest bike belt under Sal. Yep, and just probably like one of the best competitors in our whole association. Yeah, Pacifics almost. Yeah. Um, so I trained with him in 2017, and then 2018, we were at Matrevsky Martial Arts, uh, Paul's gym. Uh, and Is that in Melbourne? Yeah. Yeah. And I think it's Kialba, I think it's called. Um, and Professor, he, he was about two and a half hours into the seminar, and the questions had kind of died off. And Professor's like, all right, everybody, let's just uh, go into a little bit of rolling. Let's just have a little grapple. And, and I like when he does that because it allows you to put all the things that you just learned into practice, at mm-hmm. least test it. And he goes, John, come and roll with Barack here. And I was like, oh, shit. <laughs> um, he had just won double gold at the Pampax and, like, completely severed someone's arm, which was because... But, I mean, you know, he did what he had to do, and he beat... Um, Roberto Dib, who's this guy who just who tears or tears through all the that was through an armbar as well, armbar like, beautiful, yeah. yeah. And that was um, straight from side control, I remember. Yeah, but it was a it was a very much like a stalling match, like it was very slow. And I think that yeah. was um, Bob Frias. Um, I think that was his strategy because he didn't yeah. want to engage with Barack for obvious reasons. Okay, because, high intensity fighter. Yep. And so I was excited. Okay. And um, I started training with Barack, and what I was I was trying to pass his guard, and I was trying to do all these things to pass his guard, and he was just countering, like going to the sweep, and I, I, it was okay, like it was much better than I did like in 2017, but I still felt like I couldn't do anything, you know, and Barack was just like playing with me and dominating me, and was in like a class above, um, and we trained for a like 10 minutes it was and like by the end I was just so tired but um professor was sitting by the side and just watching he came in about oh, about two three minutes into the role so the first two three minutes I thought I was doing all right and then I started getting tired and Barack started warming up and then professor comes then and sits down and starts watching us <sighs> so he caught the, the 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 part that I was getting smashed the most <laughs> Um, it's always the worst when that happens. No, but it was good. It was it was amazing, you know. Um, so my defenses were good initially. Yeah. But that was Barack's plan. He was just warming up with me, and then um, Professor called time after ten minutes, you know, and it was awesome. And I got I got smashed, but I expected to get smashed because it was Barack. And now I had some. I had a whole bunch of questions because the thing, everything that I was that that Professor was showing us, that was sharing to us, I was trying and it wasn't working. And I was like, all right, it's not working against Barack, sure. But then I'm, I'm like, that's just, that's Barack, big whoop. Like, he's a human being, he's got a body, he's just got a skeleton. And I'm not fighting the person, I'm not fighting the belt, I'm fighting the, the skeleton. And this skeleton was just dominating me, he was doing different things. And all the techniques I was practicing, they weren't working. Um, and that's when the next day we were at Barack's, um, gym gym and it was the seminar professor seminar at Barak's mm. and then during that time professor came up to me um, and it was awesome because uh, Massa Massa photos took the photo as well so um, the photo is exactly there the one that we're talking about and he goes John it's on the website yeah he, yeah, it's on the blog he's like John I saw you roll with Barak he's like you did well my friend nothing to be disappointed about this kid is a monster by the way guys that's John's best Pedro accent what do you reckon does it right does it right (laughs) (laughs) he's like but you also played right into his hands Uh, he's like his whole game is based around the counter attacks and it occurs when you attack and I was attacking I was the one attack trying at least to attack Barak and Barack was dominating me because he was just countering everything that I was trying to do to him. Um, and Professor's like, remember the poker game in Vegas? He was like, you were the one that was showing your hands from the very beginning. 
And that's why he was dominating you. And that's why he was coming over the top of you with everything. He's like, don't show your cards. Another thing that he said at that time, and I'll never forget this because it stuck. Um, he goes, he goes after that, he's like, man, he's like, you're not like a, a dominant person. If I walk into a, into a busy room, I'm not taking over the whole room. Like I'm, I'd call myself, maybe I'm a little bit less now, but I'd call myself a little bit more introverted. Like, mm-hmm. you know, I'm, I can be shy, you know, sometimes and, um, just chilled out, you know? Like, yeah, yeah. Like I'm not like a, a super top. aggressive dude, you know? Yeah. Um, and he's like, man, you're a nice guy. He's like, you're friendly, you're nice. He's like, you're not, you're not like a, a like a bully or anything. He's like, but you're you're trying to bully, like, and you're attacking is like you're trying to bully the person. He's like, train according to your personality, and that was very interesting too. And then I fell back and I was looking back on the situation, and that's exactly what was happening, AJ. Like I was doing my moves on Barack. And Brock was just reading them and just coming over the top of them all the time. Because he's seen so many of them. He's seen it all. all over and over again. And you know what? The best competitors come at that guy and give him all they have. And yeah. he does the same thing to them. Because they're also playing into his hands. It's almost the same, AJ, when you first came in. What, what did... Um, you were saying it yesterday on the Hydrogen Stories. That's a plug right there. The Hydrogen <laughs> Stories show. Watch that show, Pete. Yeah, listen to that. Um, you're, you're the brown what? Oh, Danny. I remember when I first came in, um, Danny used to call me the brown bear. The brown my, bear. Because I used to have this, uh, I used to do this pass. I still do it sometimes, but it's obviously a, a little bit more improved. Um, the over under pass, um, where you have your shoulders uh, in through uh, underneath the, someone's leg. Mm-hmm. Um, but my ass was always up in the air <laughs> and I was just continuously driving in. So it works really well if you're like fighting someone like, you know, a, a white belt, like mm-hmm. even a blue belt or someone like that, um, or someone who basically hasn't seen that pass. But I remember the first time I rolled with you and I did that and you literally grabbed my shoulder and you rolled me the other way mm-hmm. because I was so top heavy yep. and my legs were just light. Mm-hmm. Um, and the first time you did that, I remember I was like, oh, it's just lucky. Mm-hmm. So I kept doing it and you kept doing the same move. Um, and then Phil came up and I showed him that and he's and he said and he said is John the only one that gets away with this and I said oh maybe Oscar um, like can you do the pa-? he basically meant can you do this pass on others or is it failing on everyone else yeah. as well and I said oh I can do it on most people but um, like higher belts it doesn't work and he said first it's not a bad thing if it's working on most people mm-hmm. it's fine yeah. second you're top heavy. Mm-hmm. You're limiting your possibilities. Okay, if you are like this, basically if my head is up, down, my bum is up, you're just continuously attracting and diving down, mm-hmm. pushing, 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 your weight is just continuously forward. Yep. Now if your force is going in one direction and I and you and like I'm not fussed by it, I can take you any other way. Like in the sense that if you're continuously driving into me and you're my my, if, if you guys can imagine there, if my if I'm driving into your belly and my my hips are high up, sort of like a downward dog that we do in the warm up, um, and my feet are in the ground, you know, um, it's a very unidirectional, one directional movement. So you can't push me back. You can't push into me. It, yes, it's uncomfortable, but if you start to move any lateral movement yeah. into that. So creating multi-directional movement, you've got me. Mm-hmm. Okay. <laughs> Which is essentially what you did. Yeah. You wrapped my arm and you threw me to the left. Yeah. Okay. It's a simple thing. All right. How did I how did Phil make it better for me? Just drop my hips. Mm-hmm. Okay. Suddenly my passing became ten times better with that and you know, it was easier for me to do that. But um it just limits possibilities because we've become in this mi- that mindset that I came with is that I must continuously, you know, that play with a open hand thing is that if I'm driving continuously into you I know that I'm going to pass this way you know that I'm going to pass this way mm-hmm. so what are you going to do well you're not going to let me pass that way yeah but even in passing okay uh, if, like passing is so interesting because you think about passing via attacks but then what professor says about passing is 
and that's what you were saying before, you have your frames and you have this uh, little point of safety, your bones and you are in a position where you're well structured and balanced uh, through the ground and you're also well balanced through your partner. Now, rather than me flying through to take this pass, because that's what you were doing to me and you were um, susceptible to the counter, another way of doing that is to allow me to move and just keep taking the space that I give you. Yeah, suffocation. I move a little bit, you move that little bit. I move a little bit, you move that little bit. So it's almost like you're doing the minimal. You're not really passing my guard. It's almost like I'm giving you the pass. Mm. There are seeds of that in almost all of like the bigger um, top people that come, right? Like, it, like there's little snippets of that exact same concept that you're talking about almost the same like a lot of people perhaps don't pick it up but if you dig deeper it's there like um uh say dave camarillo mm -hmm. even when he talks about uh the if people went there uh dave camarillo came in this last year and did a, a no gi um seminar and he showed the the double arm pinch and the double leg pinch mm -hmm. and a simple uh simple breakdown was is that you did the tackle pass around the around the hips and you had a clinch. You walked the person to the right. So you, if you can imagine that I've tackled past, both my legs are in your side control, my shoulders are into your hips. I walked your hips all the way to the other side. Then I triangle your legs. And then essentially what you're saying is I suffocate movement or I suffocate location or position from you. I only move when I feel like I can. Mm -hmm. So one of the best things that Dave Camarillo was saying was that your essential goal, and perhaps this one only applies to no gi, but I think it applies to gi as well, is that my essential goal is to pin your body completely down, which allows me, gives me more possibility for other things. Mm -hmm. Okay, so I'm, I'm only moving when I can and I start to take position away. Um, another time was when you came back from the Machado seminar mm -hmm. and he, he said the same thing, you know, tame the beast. And that yeah. concept was exactly the same. You know, like we're, we're getting the same concepts from all these masters of jiu-jitsu who were saying the exact same thing. Like the idea is, is that the tame the beast thing when you came back is like hey man well, I can't do the machado yeah. very well but like the concept was is that let the beast fail about tame them in mm -hmm. the sense that you just allow them a space and then constrict the space as they give it to you yes exactly it yes and so rather than you trying to dominate the beast you're, you're taming him and, and that's, that becomes different again. Um, and this is the difference of what we're talking about with regards to understanding self-defense and understanding the game of counter-attack versus simply just going out all-out attack. Because when I'm looking to attack you and perform my moves on you, as you said, it's just like that tunnel vision. Whereas if you're looking to counterattack, the onus is on your partner to move, you know? And that's also why what Professor says is you want 50% of your brain to be within you, understanding how to organize yourself in a, in, in a movement within the ground. And 50% of your brain is with your opponent because you're reading their movements and their techniques you're anticipating their techniques you know where they're going to be so you can protect yourself and eventually counter what they're going to do so it's not as though you're dictating the play and the pace it's you're feeding off of what the person is doing mm. and that is something that I've had to change in my head because my jiu-jitsu initially when I first started was all just aggression, attack, 
and do what I wanted to do to you. And that's the biggest difference that's happening now with like in learning from the professor and learning from Phil is that it becomes the counterattack. Now, think about this. This is another, another I guess, analogy. Um, and Phil's full of awesome ones. And this is, I get this from Phil. When you talk about a, a counterattack and self-defense, imagine you're in a sword fight with somebody. And if you guys are attacking each other, maybe it's me as a white and blue belt and purple belt. Um, it's like... I have a knight, a sword, and you have a sword, and we just come in, we start start swinging them wildly, swinging at each other. And whoever accidentally whoever strikes, hits, whoever hits, wins. awesome, they yeah. win. You know, oh, I stabbed you, awesome. Or oh, you were the first to cut me. You know, you win. Now, what Phil uh, talks about is this concept of the shield. You need the shield. You need a shield first. You need your armor. And you hide behind the armor and you defend your shot, you defend your swing, and you're always looking back and you're looking for that right time, that right moment to implement your strike. Because your strike won't always be, a strike has to happen at the right time as well. The right technique at the wrong time is the wrong technique. Mm. You know? So, what we have to do is understand frames, understand defenses, and these defenses is the, the, the prerequisite to an escape. And then control is the prerequisite to attack. But you need these defenses first, because if you're not just, if you're not defending, again, it's like I'm here with you and we're just throwing swords at each other and seeing who hits first. You know, it's like, um, Another thing Phil said, it's like, you know, you got a gun and you're aiming for a target, but you just close your eyes and just start shooting everywhere, you know, and hope, hopefully one of the bullets hits. It's like, no, you have to wait, you have to bide your time, you have to look for the right technique um, at the right time, set your partner up, and that's how, and that's how we do it. And that's this idea of counterattack. And it's something that's completely, that was, that was once foreign to me but I'm starting to learn it. An easy one to obviously think about is when Phil always talks about, obviously, the bottom side control. We've talked about this a few times in class. You know, how, like, perhaps for the average um, new person, the bottom side control is, like, a much-hated position. You don't want to be there. And I know personally... Love it. Yeah. (laughs) And... Even I remember like when I started, I used to always squirm and like try and get out of it as quickly as you want. And you know, like mm-hmm. you you want to just get the hell out or get back on top or get back to like half guard or close guard or whatever, like whatever it is. Um, but we forget, we forget that it's a defensive position. And the more you do, the more you play into the person's hands. Mm-hmm. Because everything from side control is triggered around you doing mistakes. You put an arm at this position, I'll take a Kimura. You put an arm in this position, I'll take an Americana. Mm -hmm. You put an arm in this position, I I, I arm bar you. I I will um, lock it up with my leg and then I'll pass the mount. Exactly. Like you put it out over my shoulder, I'll block it off, I'll walk to the other side, I'll arm bar you on the other side. Mm -hmm. Everything from top side control is based around you making mistakes, which basically makes you think that like the more you squirm, the more you do un- like compulsively, compulsively thinking that I'm going to force my way out of this because, you know, I'm stronger, I'm better, I'm faster than this person. How dare he put me in this position? Mm-hmm. I don't want to be here. You're actually like, it's like the anaconda will just, especially if you've got someone good around you on top, someone like if defensively, if we think about it, someone who's stronger than you, they're actually will strangle you quicker because you're playing into their hands, the poker. Mm -hmm. You're showing them, oh, I'm going to do this. Oh, well, wait, okay, fine. Take my hand. The less you do, 
the more time you buy, like what Phil talks about, is that it's a defensive position, man. Be safe. Be safe. First, mm-hmm. in the sense that, can you be mounted? Okay, no. Why? Well, I've got a bridging leg. I've got a posting leg. I've got two boulders up that doesn't bring his you know, head straight into my chin and he's not driving his other shoulder straight into my face. Can he get to north-south? Sweet, he can't do that. Have I got enough space that I can breathe? All right, now we can talk about thinking about things to do from here. Because before that, anything you do, he's just going to... He's going to respond. He's in a better position. And I think that relates to like all of the positions. Bottom mount, even more. Mm-hmm. Like bottom mounts, like the worst. Back, even more. Like you're in the exact same thing. Like it's if not, you're, yeah. it, it, it relates to every single position. And yeah. And that's not your time to attack. Yeah. <laughs> it's not your time. This isn't your space and you can't, that's been, that's the issue. And I think that's what happened when, like back in the day, and I thank God, you know, I, I met these guys because they've changed everything. You can't, like people try to create escapes, use escapes as an attack almost. I'm going to do my escape now as though it's your, your, uh, it's on you, for example. It's not your choice. You have to wait like until the right time comes about in order yeah. for you to escape because you messed up a long time ago to and let got him yourself come into yeah. that position, which is okay because we have jujitsu and we have our defenses. That's why you need your defenses. You need to understand how defense is different to escape. You need to understand how control is different to the attack. And the issue is I think that a lot of people just have attack because a lot of people see jiu-jitsu in terms of techniques, just technique after technique, and it's like, I do my techniques against your techniques. But there's no, and there must be a strategy and behind the techniques, and there is such an inherent strategy of Gracie jiu-jitsu, and it's this strategy that makes all of, the other, of these techniques work. And if you don't have the strategy behind each of the techniques, then good luck for it working for you. It won't. You're going to get counted again, and you're going to be tapping many, many, many times. You might be strong. Did some rain again? A bit of some rain, guys. You might hear that. Uh huh. But here's the thing: the the reason why we're talking like this, because if you were big and strong, then maybe defenses don't matter f- to you so much. Until someone bigger. Until some exactly, exactly. There's always someone. There's always going to be someone bigger. And that is why the, the, the inherent uh, philosophy of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu is that the smaller, weaker person can overcome the bigger, stronger one. Yes. But they can't will themselves to, def- to, to killing this bigger, stronger person. You can't force it. You have to be smart. You must be smart with this stuff because as much as we love Jiu-Jitsu, it's not magic. You don't have a magic wand and says, yeah. abracadabra. I'm going to armbar this person anytime I want. It just doesn't work like that. Especially when the person has technique, especially when the person has strength on you. That's why it comes down to the strategy. And it's important to highlight this concept because a lot of times when people even like, say for example, someone starts any other self-defense or, um, you know, our gentle art of Gracie Jiu-Jitsu, Perhaps there's like a, a, a prior stigma of built around like, I'm going to be able to do this from here. Mm-hmm. No, you're not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> like, I guarantee you that, I don't know, Anna or Phoebe in the street, if I tried to do something, they're not going to be hip, be able to hip throw me immediately. Mm-hmm. What they will be able to do is they'll be able to stay safe. Like, they might walk away with a few bruises here and there, but they won't get killed. Mm-hmm. 
that's what Gracie Jiu Jitsu guarantees the initial safety and your security like and this relates to you know what uh, one of the things I wanted to point out you were saying something that was so beautiful the 50% mindset the the idea that uh, 50% of my mind is on you and my Mm -hmm. 50% of my mind is on me I always think that um what do you think about this idea? I just I thought about this earlier. Like essentially what you're looking at when you're going into a self-defense conflict or whether you're it's just jujitsu on jujitsu, you know, mm-hmm. c- competition. What I'm looking at is opening my possibilities and limiting yours. So if I if I walk into let's just I just love um, Phil's T position one. Mm-hmm. If I walk in to the point that you try and pull my head down into a headlock, I immediately respond um, and end up in a T position with a strong structure. I'm safe. I'm strong. I'm secure. I'm well structured, and my possibilities that are open to me are endless in the sense that I can respond to anything that you do. Mm-hmm. Obviously, if you know, someone pulls out a gun, yes, let's, but let's be here just to the point where what this person can do. Mm-hmm. What do you think about the idea that now my, like from here, the more I limit your possi- possibilities and I start constricting as you were talking about, like, I start taking things away from you and just closing in. I still keep everything open. I can respond to anything that you do. But what you can do, I'm going to limit. Mm-hmm. That's everything. That, that's what we do on the mats. Yeah. That's, that's everything that we're doing. I want to know your possibilities. I want to know what cards do you have? What cards can you play? Because that's going to that's gonna determine my next step. I always want you to go first. Give me, give me, give me something to work with. I show want me. to work. Show me your cards, and that's why you stay back in that defensive mindset, and that's why we have our defenses. Because that's the other thing. If you don't have your defenses, if you don't understand framing, then it's very hard that like you won't be doing jujitsu because you're always. It's like it's like trying to fill a bucket that's got no bottom underneath it. Like you're mm. always filling, always filling. And it's always just coming out from the bottom. That's why you need your defenses in order to stay safe whilst I wait for you to tell me what you're going to do. You know, mm. and, and that's, the, that's a very, very big difference right there because that's going to allow you. Oh, this oh, rain's getting pretty rain. tough. Um, sorry about that, guys. We'll see how we go. We'll keep going. Um, self defense mindset. That's the self defense defense self-defense mindset is i'm defending myself against what you're doing it's not imposing attacks on other people it's counter-attacking so second chances back to the story back to the story barack came after after i trained um, with him in uh matrevsky's and then professor spoke to me barack came a few weeks later because we'd organized a seminar and then um, it was nice of him to, to have a role with a few of our boys. Danny got his arm broke, poor bastard. <laughs> um, you I trained. had a good role with him. Yeah, it was a beautiful training session. It was, it was, it was beautiful, beautiful seminar. Thanks, Barack, if you listen. Um, and I got to train with him too. And I got a chance to practice what Professor was saying. So, for example, one little aspect of this. I was, this time I was trying to pass his guard. And before I was trying to, I was trying to impose my passing, and he was always sweeping me. Always, he just swept me all the time. This time, I I was allowing him to show me what he wanted to do first, and that changed it all up. No, I didn't submit Barack. No, I didn't like beat him, but I felt so much more safe, so much more secure, and I felt like we were actually having a nice role. Like I thought, like it was a good role, and of course he could. I'm certain he could like turn it up, you know, um, but it was playful. 
but the strategy was there. The strategy was different. I was employing a different strategy that time, and that created a completely different uh, like uh, match role that changed the jiu-jitsu. And that's Pedro Sauer Gracie jiu-jitsu right there. That's the difference I feel, a major difference between what I used to do in BJJ, competition BJJ, versus what we do now in the Gracie Jiu-Jitsu. Mm. And it's not to say that this stuff won't, won't work for you in the competition world. That's what I was about to bring mm-hmm. up. Yeah. And that's, yeah. that's important because like, you know, earlier you were bringing up the idea of how you have this mindset that there are two different camps of thought and they could not be married, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and one of my favorite quotes um, from one of my favorite martial artists, Hicks and Gracie, is um, jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu. It, work, it should work everywhere. It does work everywhere. Uh-huh. And the idea is, is that I think that, yes, you have a time frame. And I mean, this is a question we have to sort of talk about this. Like, how does this mindset, because we know this is how we should be doing jiu-jitsu. The idea of opening our own possibilities as much as possible and allowing ourselves to respond according to how the person responds. Mm -hmm. And the ability to be in this mind space where I'm ready for whatever you do, I'm safe, I'm secure, and I'm going to just let you play with it. If you just wanna hold my head and just sing a song to me, Mm -hmm. I don't wanna punch you out. What if it's an uncle? Yeah. All right? But. How does this now relate to, say, the 1% of the community or in jiu-jitsu and higher jiu-jitsu who do want to compete? Mm-hmm. And I don't think that it's completely that different. As Hickson said, all jiu-jitsu is jiu-jitsu. Mm-hmm. It should not be two different camps of thought. And yes, you have a six-minute time frame. Yes, that, you have That's a, a big eight- difference. You've got time frame now. Whereas in a real fight, you know, when you're in that club, there's no, there's no clock right there. Someone's come in and grabbed you by the head. Yeah. That's a different situation because now you've got six minutes on the, on the clock. You've know, you got to make minutes, something happen. Or ten minutes. Yeah. So, so, and there's points. There's point structures as well, for sure. But one of the things that we've been talking about that relates immediately straight away is the idea of suffocation and taking things away from your opponent and keeping our own op- Um, possibilities open Mm -hmm. and I've felt this in the last six months to a year occur in me at higher jiu-jitsu compared to how I used to train Mm -hmm. Um, and this is the like there's nothing wrong let's just like I don't think you disagree with either it's like there's nothing wrong with playing around with a single attack and trying things out differently like Mm -hmm. you know like I really want to get better at my arm bars or rear naked chokes or I really want to get better at my leg locks and I'm just going to try play. Hey, Oscar, can we just do leg locks today? Hey, John, can I just practice my arm bars today? I don't think you like, would you say that you disagree with that? Not one bit. I just think that's oversimplified. If you talk about if I come in and I say, hey, I'm only going to practice my arm bars or, you know, I'm only going to attack with arm bars maybe a more um, detailed or more um, a better way to put it I'm going to look for as many possibilities to get look at how I can expose your arm you're looking for context now yeah context so arm bars will work in different contexts yes so exposing your arm in the sense that it's a reactive statement right like I'm seeing how much I can make you act or how many different ways I can make you act that exposes your arm, which is different to posing, I'm just going to arm I'm gonna take your arm. Good yeah. luck trying to arm bar somebody if you're trying to take their arm and they know an arm bar's coming, yeah, exactly. it's just not gonna happen. And now exposing an arm may mean that you're gonna try and guillotine me first. Yes. And that's okay. why I roll in and then I take your arm. There you go. So you so. have more exposition. So yeah, I don't think you say no to that, which then relates back to like our conversation where like, the more we try um, have this mindset of going into a fight, that's what I've changed into me is that I allow the fight to be in the sense that like if I shake hands with you and I go, all right, man, think, yeah, I'm going to try and expose your ankles so I can work on my ankle locks today. Uh 
but it doesn't mean that like I'm going to just ankle lock you today mm-hmm. because if you know that I'm going for your ankles today you're not going to give me your ankles today yeah. the only way that I'm going to get your ankles today is you think that I'm going to arm by you and you just so happen to bring your knees up and oh boom now I have your knees and now I can suddenly take your ankles mm-hmm. like that's another way like yes. the competition yes we understand that like there's a five minute time frame the six minute seven minute yeah. whatever belt level you're at um, and all that and that means that you're under pressure to act but the mindset that we're trying to instill I suppose or t- that you're trying to instill in higher jiu-jitsu which is open the possibilities that are available to you and limit the possibilities of your opponent mm-hmm. and holes will open on their own mm-hmm Yep, and the thing that you know, I'd love for our, for our students, but everybody, you know, to yeah, to, to understand, community. is to be sensitive to what your opponent is doing too. Yeah, think about your opponent, work with your opponent, connect to your opponent, because their actions are going to dictate what you do. You know, like the priority. This is something that we can take and we can move forward with. The priority of what you do when you're training is to be safe. Correct. We're always practicing self-defense. And that's how professor, that's why I love professor's mentality because he's like, go do competition. And that's Gracie Jiu-Jitsu still because it all works on the counter-attack. So the person in the comp, to be honest, it works out easier because the person in the comp is going to be attacking you really hard. He'll give you the moves. They're going to give you all yeah. of it, you know? And, and that's the beauty and that's why I can't wait for you to go back into comps and to put all this stuff into practice because yeah. you're going to be seeing things from a very, very different perspective. Now, priority in training, be safe. Safety first. Safety. Be safe first. Let's talk more about that because I think a lot of times when, say, for example, a new person, like um, a particular type of people, mm-hmm. um, my type of people, like the the old AJ came into the thing, like say someone who comes under this mindset, like he's like, I'm here to get better at competition jiu-jitsu. I'm here to get better at fighting. Mm-hmm. I want to be a ultimate fighter. Mm-hmm. Okay, they hear, um, I want to be safe or I should be safe first. And it seems soft. Yeah, We're not saying be safe because you're just going to be soft. We're saying be safe because that's the best foundation that you can attack from. Yes. That like it is, it's, it's perfectly clear in the mindset that if you are not safe, the everything that you will do is going to play into your opponent's hand. Mm-hmm. When you're safe, everything that you do will be built upwards from a very strong foundation. Otherwise, you're just building on sand. Yeah. Yeah, be safe because that's gonna that's gonna um, fuel your counterattack. Yeah, and that's and that's how jujitsu works. And let the onus some uh, be on your opponent. So, uh, in our role today, it was beautiful because we're both. It, it creates a Throwing different thing. Like, you know, yeah, rather than each each other trying to just like rather than us closing our eyes and trying to throw punches and see yeah. what works first, it's this is an intelligent way of doing it. You know, and A, it's going to keep us safe on the mats, you know, and it's going to keep you on the mats. It's going to keep you on the mats as well. We rolled today for like, what, 45 minutes? Something like that. Yeah, it was decently intense, sweated all over the thing, Benny, all over the mats. (laughs) But like, we kept going. Uh It wasn't that after 10 minutes I needed, you know, we both needed to take a break and have a breather. Exactly. Yeah. And you know what? Um, And I guess, you know, with like meditation practice as well, like it's... um, Safety is important first, like, and you, you're always just uh, protecting yourself first before you start looking to go after other people. And you don't have to go after other people to be to, to be successful in yeah. this martial art. You can just be within yourself, keep yourself safe, and move forward. You know, and that's that's a beautiful thing. So, um, on the strategy of survival, guys, I hope I hope that makes sense. You know, and I hope you can take some of these concepts and think about them you know and put it on practice on the mats put them into practice and check out you know your your best techniques and the techniques that work well for you 
and check out the times and the and the and the circumstances that they work the best in mm. and think about what your opponent what you want your opponent to be doing in order for you to to apply these techniques yeah and see the see how when you know John or Pedro or Phil when they see when they say sorry uh work from a position of safety they're not just saying to make you feel safe so that you don't sue them because you might get hurt they're actually saying from the point that yeah <laughs> it's funny because perhaps some people feel that way mm-hmm. but they're saying that because it is the only foundation that you can act from that you will not play into your opponent's hands because if you play from safety you're limiting your per- opponent's possibilities. Every like the side mm-hmm. control is a perfect example. We can come back to that because everything that you do that is not safe is just going to play in the opponent's possibilities. Mm-hmm. And the more you limit your opponent's possibilities, the more your possibilities will be open. This is beautiful. I love it. We have time. We had time. We had a question time, but. The questions we put up for the high jiu-jitsu students, well, we got, we are, Benny asked uh, BJJ and conditioning, but we're not talking about conditioning yet. That's a podcast for another We'll do another one of those. Jeffrey asked, what exercise done in the gym is the most beneficial? We'll do another one of those. We can talk about that. Self-defense, Jeff. Um, that's what we're practicing. So, guys, if you have any questions about any of the topics that are coming up, now's the time. Like, ask us beforehand and we can discuss them and you can bring them into this conversation and um, hopefully discuss some answers for you guys. But that was it. Um, I hope you guys really enjoy it. AJ, thanks so much. I think thanks, man. Thanks, I think, guys. I think people will enjoy this. Yeah, uh, that was really good. Sorry if there's a lot of noises. We're next to a gym and I can hear deadlifts um, happening <laughs> next door and I can hear rain and I can hear St. Mary's Cathedral bells. But hopefully it works out and hopefully it's good enough. And um, guys, keep training. Keep training. See you on the mats. Us. Us. See everybody.